Good evening, everybody. This morning, in a sermon that uh, came about as a result of a question, we spoke at length about the need for self-examination prior to taking the Lord's Supper and leaven and all of that. But you know, that is not the only situation wherein, nor is that the only time frame wherein we are to examine ourselves. Paul, in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, brings up a very familiar theme to his writings when he writes, examine yourselves as to whether or not you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves? You think he's trying to make a point here? <laughs> Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless you are disqualified? Now, when he writes that, he's writing about a very personal examination. As I made mention this morning, it's not about examining the person next to us and all that. It's about examining ourselves. It's not me examining all of you. It's about me examining myself. This command to constantly, not just on Sundays before the Lord's Supper, but this command to constantly examine and evaluate and diagnose and treat ourselves and the fruit that we are producing out of our own personal lives. That is, is something that is a familiar theme in Paul's writings. For example, as we mentioned this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28, specifically there in light of worship in the Lord's Supper, Paul wrote, let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And he adds in verse 29, that if not, the one who doesn't eats and drinks judgment to himself, not to somebody else, but to himself. And so we see this theme again and again. We see it also in Galatians chapter 6, verse 4, when Paul says, let each one examine his own work. I don't need to stand back and look at what Mark's doing or Joel's doing or Jason's doing or somebody else and say, well, I'm doing at least as much as they are. No, I don't need to examine their work. I need to examine my own work. And it's interesting that Paul says that in Galatians 6.4, let each one examine his own work right after identifying and discussing the fruit of the Spirit. In the verses just preceding that in chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit that should constantly be coming out of a Christian's life who has crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, Galatians 5, 22 through 26. And so we see this, this idea, this truth, this admonition to examine oneself based on the fruit coming out of their own life isn't original to Paul either. Jesus talked about this continually. He began as early as the Sermon on the Mount. Remember the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7? In Matthew 5, he starts it out with the Sermon on the Mount, what we call the Beatitudes. And, and what he's trying to do is, is get us to examine our own lives. Are we, are we poor in spirit? Are we, are we peacemakers? Are we hungering and thirsting after righteousness? And, he, and what he's talking about there is examining ourselves and, and showing us what we need to explore and discover in our own hearts and minds and attitudes in order to get our flaws out so that we will inherit the kingdom. You recall in that same Sermon on the Mount as he moves on through chapters five and six, he talks about, in Matthew five and six, he talks about the Pharisees and the Sadducees and what's in their lives and, and we should examine ourselves and not be what they are and all of that. And he moves on to chapter seven. Remember the first part of Matthew seven? 
story of the log and the speck where he says, you know, get the log out of your own eye and then you'll be able to see clearly to remove the speck that's in your brother's eye. What's that about? Self-examination. Let me make sure that I've got me right before I try to change somebody else. And, and this goes on and on and on. In fact, in Matthew chapter 7, a little further down in verses 15 through 20, where Jesus addresses false teachers. He says in verse 16, you will know them by their fruits. And then he repeats in verse 20, by their fruits you will know them. <laughs> you make it a point there, one, that, that same sentence twice in, in about four verses. And it's not just when it comes to false teachers. By their fruits, you will know everybody. And so, throughout his ministry, and let me give you just a couple more where Jesus showed this need for personal self-examination. Remember the story of the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11? Remember what he told those guys? They wanted to stone her to death, and Jesus said, let him who was without sin cast the first stone. And beginning with the oldest, they begin dropping their stones and walking away. Why? Because Jesus had forced them to examine themselves first, again and again and again. His condemnation of the Pharisees in Matthew 23, as well as his admonition to his disciples in John 15, 5 through 8, that they must bear much fruit. All of this, Jesus says, you got you to take a look at yourself. Now, putting that aside for just a minute, in, the, in addition to teaching the need for self-examination, amongst other things, we also know that another favorite thing of Jesus to do was to teach using simple, physical illustrations. Jesus talked about what? You're the light of the world. Everybody could understand light and darkness. He said, you are the salt of the earth. Very simple, they understood salt. He said to his disciples, who were fishermen, when he called them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. They understood that, they got it, they understood. Jesus used these simple everyday illustrations in order to teach. He taught often about self-examination, and in his teaching of all things, he used simple illustrations. And so tonight, we are going to do something very similar to that. In a sermon tonight entitled, Fruit and Taters, we're going to utilize a parable, an illustration, much like Jesus often did. We're gonna utilize an illustration, a parable, of a very fictitious, get that out of the way, a very fictitious church family from a congregation far, far away. We are going to discuss tonight the infamous Tater family. This was an illustration I heard about 20 years ago. And since then, that family has grown, and I've done more research, and I've changed the notes, and, and, and worked it, and, and just like any family in 20 years, the Tater family has changed over the years as well. Amongst this family's fictitious members, this is so important, we will see both the good, the bad, and the ugly, as well as the most beautiful, of their spiritual fruit put on full display for all the world to see. We use this as an illustration to help us remember. And in this fictitious Tater family, last name Tater, we will see what we want or do not want 
to be like or become like by looking at their spiritual fruit in light of what the Bible says. And as we do, we need to ask ourselves this question. What does the fruit coming out of my own life look like as compared to the Tater family members? Or perhaps better yet, this question. Which member of the Tater family do I most want to spiritually resemble in my Christian walk, and what do I do to get there? And so we begin. The patriarch of the family is the grandfather. He's just a common, ordinary, everyday guy. Matter of fact, he's so common, that's what his first name is, common. He is commentator. Describes him very well. He truly is a commentator. He's got something to say about everything. Everything, nothing can go by without a comment from commentator. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, he's been to a better place and done it bigger. You know commentator, perhaps. No idea is worth anything unless it was his originally. Otherwise, doesn't matter. Commentator thinks he's an expert on everything, hence being a commentator. And he wants you to think he's an expert on everything as well, whether he really is or not. But here's the thing. Apparently, commentator is not overly familiar with the book of Proverbs and texts like Proverbs 27.2 that says, let another man praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. Is it okay to be recognized if you do some good things and somebody says, hey, brother so-and-so did, you know, they did this for me. I love that brother, that sister. They, nothing wrong with that, right? But when I have to tell you, hey, I'm a pretty good guy because I did this, there's a problem with that. That's commentator. Not only does he not know Proverbs 27 too, but apparently he's not very familiar with James 1.19 either, which says, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak. Commentator is not slow to speak. He's got something to say about everything. You know, most of us have probably all heard that we have been given two ears and one mouth for a reason. And although Ecclesiastes 3.7 tells us there is a time to keep silence and a time to speak, Mr. Taterhead here apparently came with three mouths and no ears. That brings us to commentator's children. Commentator and his wife had three sons, three boys. The oldest one is Richard. But the one friend that he does manage to keep calls him Dick. He is indeed dictator. And, as you might guess by his name, he's exactly that, a dictator. This guy has to have his own way, all the way, every time, or else. And what's sad about that as a Christian is that that's not how the Lord Jesus said it needs to be. He desperately needs to heed the words of Matthew 20. Turn over there with me. Will you please to Matthew chapter 20? I, I know we're familiar with the text, but, but dictator needs so much. 
to understand this charge in Matthew 20, 25 through 28. This is where James and John want the seats of, of priority next to Jesus. And they get their mother to go to Jesus, the ten hear of it, they're greatly displeased with the two. Verse 25, but Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. It is not about exercising authority over one another. It's not about my way or the highway in the church. It's just not. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servants. The servants in the church are the greatest in the church, period. That's what Jesus said. And so rather than being a, 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 like dictator, we need to be servants. And whoever desires, verse 27, to be first among you, let him be your slave. None of us like that word, slave. And Jesus said, you want to be great in the church, that's what it takes. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give, to give, to give. Mine's highlighted, give his life a ransom for many. Dictator apparently isn't very familiar with Philippians 2 either. Turn over there. Philippians chapter 2, not only are we not to lord it over one another, but we had to put one another first. Philippians 2, Paul writes to the church of Christ in first century Philippi, verse 1, therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, and, and I mean, obviously, think about that statement. If there's any, all consolations in Christ which is the point he's making. If any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but for the interest of others. Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus who took on the form of a bondservant and came, and, and Dick Tater needs to listen to the, to the words of Jesus here. Moving on to Dick Tater's wife. Dick Tater's married. Must be, must be a real good setup for the wife, right? Married to a dictator. Her name is Amp U. Tater. The name fits. She's constantly making cutting remarks, divisive, abrasive remarks about others in the local body of Christ, then can't understand why anybody, nobody wants to work with her. Cutting divisive, abrasive remarks to and about others in the body of Christ. And, and here's the thing, and then she often tries to thinly disguise her distaste for others by saying things like, well, I was only joking. I was only joking. You know, we use that phrase a lot. The world uses that phrase a lot today. Some cutting remark will be inserted and, and hurled at somebody, and then when it hurts and the person lets them know it hurts, what you get? Well, I was only, I'm just kidding. I was only joking, right? Do you know what the scripture says? We shouldn't be doing that. The Bible itself says that. And an amputator who makes those cutting remarks needs to be familiar with Proverbs 26. Turn there, would you please? And don't get me wrong, it's, it's not, you know, there's some wonderful members of the family here, and we'll get to them momentarily. It just happened to be the way it fell. Proverbs 26. Verses 18 through 21. Look closely. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death 
is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only joking. Where there is no wood, the fire goes out. Where there is no tail bearer, strife ceases. You want to see all, all of this just come to an immediate halt? Then don't allow that person to keep that fire burning. Don't, don't allow that wood to be there because if there's no wood, the fire goes out. If there's somebody who needs to be stopped from doing this, then they just need to be stopped. As charcoal is to burning coals and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. And, and amp you, Tater, she, she isn't real, really a fan of Ephesians 4, 29 through 32 either. She avoids that like some denominationalists avoid Acts 2.38. Turn and look at Ephesians 4. Not a big fan of this one. Too busy cutting and slicing and dicing others. Ephesians chapter 4. 29 through 32 says this. As we read this morning, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, as I stressed this morning, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. But put those, put those abrasive remarks away. Get rid of them. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And we would notice, therefore, we need to be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love. Now, Dick Tater and his wife, Amputator, have 20-year-old twin sons. Sometimes when I write things in my note, I have to just say, did I really put that there? When they were younger, they were called Tater Tots. Sorry. Their names, the twin sons of Dick and Amputator, are Erie and Adji. Irritator and agitator. They're not identical twins, but they do take after their parents in a lot of ways. They didn't roll too far from the hill. If they can irritate or aggravate or stir up strife within a sensitive situation, whether in or out of the congregation, they are all over it like mashed on potato. Their parents apparently didn't teach them much out of the book of Proverbs either. Notice Proverbs 16, 27 through 30. Apparently, they didn't teach them much of this. We need to teach our children out of the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 16. Look at verses 27 through 30. I'll be there in a minute. There we go. An ungodly man digs up evil, and it is on his lips like a burning fire. A perverse man sows strife, and a whisperer separates the best of friends. A violent man entices his neighbor and leads him in a way that is not good. He winks with his eye to devise perverse things. He purses his lips and brings about evil. Irritator and agitator are continually stirring things up, stirring the pot. Romans 128 through 32 describes them to a T. 
Well, we move on from that. As I said, commentator, the grandfather of the group, had three sons. We've talked about his oldest son, Dick, and his wife and their two kids. Well, commentator's middle son, Dick's brother, is completely opposite. Here we go with some of the good ones. He is completely opposite. He is computator. Name fits, as they all do. That's kind of the reason for the names. Computator. This is the guy I want to be like. Computator is just the exact opposite of his brother dictator. He thinks before he speaks. And he prays before he acts. Let me say that again. He thinks before he speaks. And he prays before he acts. He is constantly computating. He is constantly considering. He is constantly thinking about the outcome and the effect before he says anything. Isn't that awesome? That's who computator is. He's constantly reasoning in his own mind and computating this. And he asks himself questions before he speaks like, will this be worth it? Questions like, will this be an encouragement or discouragement? He asks himself questions before he speaks like, will this help or hinder the cause of my Lord and his kingdom? See, there's a great contrast between dictator and his wife and their attitude, the worldly wisdom of the oldest brother dictator, and the godly wisdom of the middle son computator. In fact, we can see this contrast in James 3, 13 through 18. Turn over there in James chapter 3. And, and you'll notice the two, the two brothers' attitudes pop right out here and are contrasted. Dictators' worldly wisdom versus computators' godly wisdom. James 3, 13, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. That's computator, godly wisdom. But, here comes dictator. If you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. That's dictator and his wife amputator. But... Here we go back to, the, to Dick's brother, Compu. The wisdom that is from above is first pure. In other words, it's unleavened, right? Then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits. Computator, this is good fruit he brings out. Without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Remember when I talked about Compu's oldest brother, Dictator, and, and his wife, Amputator, and said their attitudes pretty well matched, neither one is real good? Well, Computator and his wife, they both have outstanding, I want to be like them. Computator's wife, her life is full of good fruit and she is a good matchup for Computator. She's a nurse. Her name is Meditator. Meditator. She is well described by the words of Psalm 119. Turn to Psalm 119. This kind of fruit I want. 
And that's the whole point of examining this fictitious family to, to look at their fruit and to examine ourselves and contrast ourselves with them and what's coming out of our lives. And it's just an illustration to use to that end. Because people will often forget the text that you use, but they often will remember a visual illustration better than the actual verses, hence the PowerPoint. Meditator. Beautiful woman. Spiritually, I mean, she's the Proverbs 31 woman. She is just beautiful, spiritually speaking. She's well described by the words of Psalm 119, beginning at verse 41. Let your mercies come also to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your word. So shall I have an answer for him who reproaches me, for I trust in your word. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I have hoped in your ordinances. God's law is the only thing that matters to her. So shall I keep your law continually forever and ever. And I will walk at liberty. She said, I'm going to walk in freedom. I am free from, from the fear of sin and death. And I, I, I'm just, I'm walking in liberty. I don't have to pay the price for my sins. I will walk in, at liberty, for I seek your precepts. I will speak of your testimony also before kings. And I will not be ashamed. Isn't that the kind of Christian we all want to be? I will delight myself in your commandments, which I love. You ain't got to beg this woman to come to Bible class. My hands also I will lift up to your commandments, which I love. Here it comes. And I will what? Meditate. She is a meditator. I will meditate on your statutes. You see, to her, studying the word of God is, is not a chore or a burden, but it is the love of her life. It is her delight, verses 47 and 8, as, she as we just read. Like the Lord's church in the first century, since her baptism, she has devoted herself to the apostles' doctrine, to the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer, just like in Acts 2.42. She just meditates on God's word, and she just loves God so much. And, and here's the thing. She doesn't study to gain God's approval. She studies because she's grateful she's already got God's approval. See, that's the thing as Christians. I don't come to worship so I can go to heaven to earn my way. Because I'm going to heaven, I come to worship. I don't study so that I can find out what I need to do in order to attain heaven because God has already said through the blood of his son, I've attained heaven, that's why I study. And, and that's, who she's, that's what she is. Her God is awesome and, and she wants to be so close to him as she possibly can. She does not serve her husband, her family, or her home congregation in order to gain God's acceptance. She serves with all her heart, soul, mind, and strength because she's already been accepted by God in the beloved, Ephesians 1, and she knows it, and hence she is a meditator on God's word constantly. She meditates on God's word and that's what makes her who she is. That's what makes her so beautiful. She meditates on God's word more than a soldier's wife, a soldier being deployed overseas and sends a love letter to his wife back home. And if she would treasure that, this woman meditates on the word of God and loves it even more. She can't help but have that show and shine through in everything she says and does. And so that's the middle brother and his wife. Then there is dictator and computator's youngest brother, the last of the three. The third of commentators, three sons. His name, 
is Lamentator. As book of the Bible comes real close to that name, right? Lamentations. Lamentator continually laments. He's, he's continually focused on the bad news. Always, 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 nothing but bad news. Whenever he opens his mouth, it's always for the negative. <laughs> if, if Winnie the Pooh were a spiritual story, he'd be Eeyore. Okay? Just saying. And you don't dare to ask this good brother, Lamentator, out before you, how you doing today? Because you know, you know what's coming. Oh, life is just horrible. And, and so you don't even ask him how he's doing. Lamentator really needs to study Philippians 4, 4 through 9, where Paul says, Rejoice the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit be made known to all men. Whatever is good, whatever is pure, whatever is right, whatever is lovely, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Lamentator needs to meditate on the good things and meditate more on the word of God so that he become like his sister-in-law, meditator. But Lamin is also married. Now, just like Dick and Ampu, Tater, are both negative and they're, they're, their personalities fit, and just like the second son, Computator, and his wife, Meditator, very positive and they're a good fit, Lamentator and his wife are not such a parallel situation. Lamentator, as I said, always negative, but his wife, his wife is one of the most beautiful, sweetest, busiest, most giving and active servant saints in the whole church. She is completely the opposite of Lamentator. Her name is Facil. Facilitator. Have you ever heard in the church 80% of the work gets done by 20% of the people? This is her. If 90% of the work got done by 10% of the people, this would still be her. Whenever you need something done in the church. Who do you go see? Somebody who's not doing anything or somebody who's already really busy? Ironically, you go see the one who's really busy because they are the person who is going to, they have shown that they want to just serve all the time. The person that's not doing anything in the church have pretty much shown they really don't want to do anything in church. The person's doing everything in church pretty much shown they want to do everything in the church. She, facilitator, is one of those, she's a female MacGyver, Supergirl, and spiritual Wonder Woman all rolled into one. If you need something done, this woman visits the sick, this woman prepares meals, this woman teaches Bible classes. If you need it facilitated, you need it to happen, this is the woman to go see. She is a beautiful example of Titus 2, 2 through 5, and 9 through 14. Like the Israelites, of Nehemiah 8 and verse 10, the joy of the Lord is her strength. That's where she gets her strength. The joy of the Lord is her strength. And her favorite verse in the whole Bible, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's who she is. And, and it's that, you see, it's that which is in her heart and, and her love for God that causes her to be a facilitator. She realizes she was saved to serve, Titus 2.11 through 14. She understands that. And unlike her sister, Amputator, she is a joy to work with and be around. And people can't get enough of helping her out. She'd go to any lady in the church and say, we need a Bible class teacher. And yeah, you, you, you'd help facilitate her because she's just that kind of person. I would be remiss if I did not mention a few other extended 
Tater family members in passing, just some of the extended family I'll mention real quickly. The first one is interstater. Some of you may recall an old Eagles song, Life in the Fast Lane. They knew all the right people, they took all the right pills, they threw outrageous parties, they paid heavenly bills. You may recall the song. Wouldn't recommend the song, it's got one word in it that doesn't belong there, but at any rate, interstater. When I think of interstater, I think of somebody who is driving as fast as they can and ignoring all the warning signs down the wide and easy road that leads to destruction. That's interstater. Not taking the narrow path, the difficult path, the, the straight and narrow path. They're taking the wide, easy, broad way, and they are charging down that road despite all of the warnings. Brethren, I know I've told you this before, so I'll, I'll make it really quick, but, but this sticks with me. My memory's not real good these days. The older I get, the worse my memory's getting. But one of the things that I'll always remember up here is, is driving 295 out around Providence, Rhode Island, coming into southern Massachusetts, Attleboro, Mass. I was a Christian, slowed down, big warning signs, two miles in advance, slow down, slow down, slow down. It's one of those suicide off-ramps. So it's 20, 25 miles an hour, one of those. And so I'm slowing down, and like a mile before you get there, it's down to 55, and then 45, and then 35. And, and so I'm slowing down, and I see this curve coming. And here comes this tractor trailer. And he's gotta be doing 65 miles, and the road ends. You got, you got to get off the ramp. Here he comes. And it's just, there's, there's a time in your mind when, you, when, when your mind says, this ain't going to work. <laughs> he goes blowing by me. He'd been warned for several miles. He's just, he just interstate, just flying down the interstate, not paying attention to the warning signs, those big flashing arrows, nothing comes into that corner and he's already started to hit his brakes and I don't know what speed he hit that corner but it was like a 25 mile an hour corner and he must have hit it at least 40. And he's got a loaded tractor, it's an 18 wheeler and it's loaded and how do I know it's loaded you ask? Well here I don't have x-ray vision, here's how I know it's loaded. Because when those rear wheels on the right side started to come off and they kept coming and they kept coming and the truck went boom 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 like this, all of the cargo on the pallets came right through the roof and spread out over the countryside, that's how I know he was loaded. But how many people like Interstater go charging down the road of life, ignoring the warning signs? High speed lane, that wide easy way, and all of a sudden meet destruction. That's what happened to Interstater moving along. Matthew 7:13 talks about that wide and easy way. Another member of the extended family is Spectator. Now, Spectator, does the absolute minimum that he thinks he can get away with in order to get to heaven. Don't ask spectator to preach, teach, evangelize, lead a prayer. Don't ask spectator to do anything because he's there to stay on the sidelines and be a spectator. He'll tell you he's been saved by grace. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. But don't take him to verse 10 which says we were saved by grace to do good works. He'll tell you he's been rescued from death and point you to 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 57. But he stops before verse 58, which says, therefore my, dear, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Don't, don't, don't bring that verse up. He's there just to be a spectator. And here's the problem with that. Because he's only there to be a spectator, but he's still there 
kind of lukewarm because he's there, but he's not really doing anything. And, and unfortunately, that's going to cause the Lord in his lukewarmness, this, this, spud, spud, bleh, this spuds lukewarmness, it's going to cause Jesus to have to spit him out of his mouth. I got two, member, two more members of the extended family I want to tell you about. This is Gravitator. Gravitator has a real simple philosophy. Gravitates towards whatever's popular. Whatever's popular in a religious world at the moment, Gravitator is constantly tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting instead of growing up in all things into him who is the head Christ. Ephesians 4, 14 through 16. And that brings us to one of the most beautiful, even though they all look about the same, <laughs> to one of the most beautiful, most faithful, devoted, and consistent spiritual fruit producers in the entire Tater family. He's actually listed by name in the text. He's actually listed by name in the Bible. Imitator. Turn again to Ephesians 4.31. I know we've been there once, but turn there again, please. And you'll see his name in the sacred text, Imitator. Ephesians 4, beginning at verse 31. As we read before, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore be imitators of God. As dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for sweet smelling aroma. I think that's the third time today I've read that text. It's a beautiful text. Talks about the aroma we talked about this morning. Talks about loving and forgiving as God has. And it also talks about being imitators. Now, there's one more family member. This is the final one. This is a very sad story. There is one family member that I neglected to mention. I saved her until last, and I saved her until last for a reason. She is the grandmother of the clan. Yes, I saw that head shake, as one of you has probably already come up with this. She is the grandmother of the clan. She is commentator's wife. You remember at the beginning, I told you about commentator and said that he had three sons? Well, obviously, he was married and had these three sons, and I didn't mention his wife. Tragically, she is deceased. She died a very horrible, but self-inflicted, that's the thing, self-inflicted, death. You see, despite hearing hundreds if not thousands of sermons, despite sitting in church all the time, despite Common's insistence that they raise their boys in the church, despite her being there by Common's side all the time and maybe hearing thousands of sermons and invitations, she never came forward. She never came to Christ and had her sins forgiven within the waters of Christian baptism to become 
a saved New Testament Christian. Like King Agrippa, you remember King Agrippa in Acts chapter 26 and verse 28 where he was almost persuaded. She was almost persuaded on several occasions. But like the Israelites in 1 Kings 18 verse 21, hesitator, hesitated between two opinions. She hesitated between whether God was God or not, between two opinions. One day too long. And now it is too late for hesitator. Tonight, if you're here and you have never been baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, don't be a hesitator. Don't wait until it is too late and you lose your own sin-stained soul to the fires forever. And if you have been baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins to become a New Testament Christian, then take a few minutes. Really examine yourself and the fruit of your life in comparison to that of the Tater clan. And, and if you find yourself, and it's every, up to everybody to do it for themselves, not to anybody else, but as we each look at our own lives, myself included, if we're following in the footsteps of any of them other than computator, meditator, facilitator, or imitator, we may need the prayers of the church to get back on track because we don't want to be like the rest of that Tater clan. Tonight, if you would not hesitate any longer and be baptized into Christ, or if you find that you would like to become like one of that fantastic four, computator, meditator, facilitator, imitator, and you need the prayers of the church, we'll pray for you. We'll help you to become all that you need to be so that you don't wind up in the fires forever because you're divided between two opinions or two worlds. If you have a need, will you come to the front right now as we stand and sing?